Good morning, church. Scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I, not, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll go ahead and begin with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we delight in our brokenness, God. Let us come to you just to be to be mend together, to be welded together by your grace and through the movement of your spirit. Let us come to you with just a soft, tender heart that can only happen by your grace. Let us come to you in all of our brokenness. Let us come to you, God, even with our pride and and let us stand before you, the righteous judge and righteous king of all. Bless this time as we come before you and humbly, humbly sit under your word. Father, bless this time that we might be transformed just a little bit more, a little bit more into the beautiful, beautiful image of your son. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, we were in Florida and it was it was a great time. Um it was quite hot though to be to be honest we were on the gulf side and and we flew down there and we we had to well we had to pay for our own flights down there believe it or not and um we were with a bunch of pastors who can be kind of fun when you're when they're on the stage and when you're in the seats they're kind of fun then but when you get together and start talking with them and seeing how awesome their churches are and how glorious and how much God's moving through them it's kind of becomes woeful company. And then we were there for the first evening. Uh, you know, the, the meals were comped, and that was kind of nice, but the dessert and ice cream afterwards, that wasn't. And um, it was okay, the first meal, but it took so long. The service was so slow that we ended up missing the sunset. That's okay. That's okay. We're still in Florida. Then the next evening, um, this restaurant, some immigrant family from um, southern Italy uh, opened up their restaurant that hadn't been opened in months and allowed our our group to come and sit there. And it's a quaint little hidden gem. But last time we had been there, the, the server had like he was one of the immigrants. He had this beautiful Italian accent, but he was in the kitchen that time. So again, the service wasn't that good. Um... 
And then, and then they put us in the room in the hotel and it's overlooking the golf, which is nice, but we were only on the fourth floor. I was hoping we'd be up a little bit higher. We were only on the fourth floor. So as we looked out, all we could see were palm trees. I wanted to see the sunset. I didn't come there to see palm trees, but there it was. Don't you guys despise? Utterly despise people who sin, or who, who, well, not really sin, but who complain. And it's one of the, one of the deals about this is that it's a mirrorless sin. I'm driving down the road. I know when I'm speeding. I know when I'm angry with other people. I know that. But this is a mirrorless sin. You don't really see it in yourself. It's like pride. You, the people who are prideful, they don't see it. Like the, like the guy who comes up front here two weeks in a row and tells stories about his own life as though that will be able to arrest your attention for 30 minutes. It's, it's the pinnacle of hubris, but they don't even see it, right? Same thing with this complaining. <laughs> we move on. Let's talk about Paul. Alright, so Paul is exhorting this church in Philippi to do all of these things, as Eric just recited to us from memory. Well done. Uh, do all of these things without grumbling. But how do you do that? Well, then we get into the, the main thrust of our sermon here. Is to hold fast to the word of life. Hold on to the word of life. So what are we going to be looking at? Well, we're going to be looking at letting go of certain things. Opening up our hands, letting them go, and then other things we're going to be holding on to. Well, that is the word of life. That's what we're going to be holding on to. And then finally, we're going to be seeing, when we're holding on to this, then we'll see that our hands will be able to be raised up in praise and rejoicing of our eternal King. So, as you very well know, we're in chapter 2, and this isn't the beginning of the letter. Right, and much is uh, much like in our own Christian life. What's going on here is standing on the shoulders of what has gone before that, and so Paul has to tell them and remind them to do all things, do all things without grumbling or disputing. But look at what their lives are, though. After all, they live in a, a pretty awesome metropolitan city. For the first century. It's not too big. It's perfect size. Not too big. It's not too small. And there was some persecution going on in that time in the 60s. But it's mostly centralized to Nero. And right around Rome in the 1960s. Which is why Paul's in prison writing this letter. But it isn't until later in the century under uh, Domitian. He's a, an, an emperor. Or Caesar from later on in the first century. And then that's when it becomes systematized and spread throughout the old empire. So there's not a whole lot of persecution, maybe some social persecution, but not state-sanctioned persecution going on. And this church is flourishing. It's flourishing. And people who have never heard the gospel ten years ago begin to hear the gospel. And they're worshiping this eternal God who has made them to worship Him. They were, remember where they were? They were dead in their sins. And they didn't even know it. They were following the prince of the power there, and they were joyfully doing this. And they're 
find themselves in the most undesirable of positions. They're physically alive and spiritually dead, but they don't even know it. And joyfully, happily, they become walking towards hell day by day, step by step, coming closer to their complete ruin. But this guy named Silas is with this gentleman named Paul, and they're kind of traveling through town. And you're out running some errands, and you you hear him talking. And it doesn't quite make sense. He's talking about this, this eternal king who's going to come and rule and reign forever. And you know that you, you don't believe it, but it's, it's just too ridiculous to believe, quite frankly. But it's too intriguing to not come back and hear some more. So you go by the water's edge, day after day, hoping to catch them again. And then several days later, you hear them and they catch them again. And it's the same message. About this man, Jesus Christ, who was crucified and come back to life. This man who gave up his life to redeem people who didn't deserve it so that they could worship him. And instead of being filled with hate, they can be filled with love. Instead of being dead in their own sin, they can be made alive together with Christ. And you're listening, kind of on the edge. And then they turn to you and they ask, Well, what do you think? And in that moment, you realize that this is not some abstract idea to understand, but this is an eternal truth that you must believe. And you couldn't quite articulate it then, what was happening in your heart. But then later on that day, as you begin finishing your errands, you realize that you do believe. And then... It says, nothing has changed, but everything has become new, right? The world around you, it seems as though it has come alive. And everything that you've seen before, all the streets that you've seen before, all the shops, it's as though you're seeing them for the first time. And then you begin meeting with these people. And they get together all the time. They get together on Sunday, because that's the day this eternal king rose from the dead, who you're still finding out more about. And it's fresh and exciting. But before long, everything's new. That's good, but nothing's changed. Well, the job you had before, well, you still have it. And that spouse who's progressing in in her faith, in his faith, has still not reached the pinnacle of your spiritual heights. And it's the children. It's still as if they want to eat every day. It doesn't go away. And just like that, without even knowing it, you begin to grumble. You begin to complain and dispute, even within yourself. And this is why... You see this necessity. Here's the beautiful life of Christ. That He has given up Himself. That He has emptied Himself. That He has humbled Himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross as Joe was preaching. And then out of that flow of this text. Paul doesn't leave us there. But just as he, he turned to the man on the sea. 
on this, the riverside and asked, well, what do you believe? Paul's inviting those who are reading the text to come walk in this same manner. That it isn't just Christ who'd emptied himself, but that we should empty ourselves. And that's not just him who should give up of ourselves, but we should do it as well. And we're not called to die on a cross, but we're called to die to ourselves day after day after day. Well, then it's no reason why Paul would have to follow up when he's telling you to live this particular Christian life following Christ. Well, there's no, it makes complete sense. The next thought is going, well, you're going to have to do it without grumbling, without complaining, without disputing. So this idea of grumbling, as it is translated quite well, it has this idea of this murmur. It can be just even inside of you, of this secret displeasure of this within yourself, being displeased what God is doing either in your own life or in the lives of others. And sometimes we congratulate ourselves as though it gets in our mind, but we don't actually speak it out loud. Well, Paul's not saying don't say it out loud. It's even internal, even within inside of us, even this grumbling or this disputing within ourselves, even in our own mind. Paul is telling them not to do it. And, and look, go back to the text here. It says, do all things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And you can look it up in the Greek. The all, it's quite fantastic. It just means all. I, I spent the week looking for some ways around it, but there aren't any. And we think we, we see this and we go, oh, well, that's easier for Paul to write, right? He's... He's the super Christian. You know, he's not, again, he's not married to, to my spouse. That could be difficult. He doesn't have the job that I don't particularly care for, but have no way out of. And Paul, let's be honest, you have to travel around the Mediterranean eating awesome food and planting churches. You never had the school shut down and you never found yourself homeschooling children. Day after day after day, cooking and cleaning and teaching and cooking and cleaning and teaching. And just like that, you find yourself grumbling and disputing with the, the, the life that God has given you. You find yourself grumbling and disputing with it. And Paul, yeah, you can write, you can... You can write this. You cause a riot. You leave town. My kids get hopped up on candy last night. They have this joyous riot in the house. I gotta clean it up. I can't leave town. So it's easy for you to say, Paul. But it's the text is that lies before us is that all things, there's no way around it, my friends. All things are to be done without a quiet murmur. A quiet disputing, even within our own hearts. And this is the Christian walk. And it's a beautiful thing. Because we're following Christ. Again, look at the example of Christ. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Foxes, they have holes. Wandering animals have homes, but Christ, when He came to the earth, He had no place to lay His head. Did not complain, did not murmur, did not grumble, did not dispute. 
He was not accepted by anyone. Those whom He created, He came to them and they did not accept Him. Not a complaint. No grumbling. No disputing. He spends years discipling this man who would betray Him. And not just betray Him, but would draw Him closely and betray Him with a kiss. He was beaten and he was whipped. No complaints. He stands before his accusers. And he stands silently. This is the life that we are called into. Not that we don't have emotions. Not that we we just suppress everything. No, but because we know that there is a God who is sovereign, who is working in us and through us, that is orchestrating everything in our lives. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's joyful, whether it's a time of sorrow, we are following Christ. We are walking in His, His, His footsteps. Walking in His path. And that is why we walk without grumbling. That is why we walk then without disputing. So as we begin to live this life, without grumbling, without disputing, of things that you think might be legitimate complaints, and you you just don't say anything about Him. You just give it to God. What begins to happen is that the world takes notice of this. Let's go back to the text here. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Friends, by withholding your tongue, you actually communicate much more than you realize. You are showing the world around you that you are a daughter, that you are a son of God. You don't have to be able to defend all the the nuances of every Christian doctrine against every attack that might come against it. If you want to shine in the world, if you want your glory, the God's glory to be made known in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation in which we live, live, let's be honest, Just don't grumble. Don't dispute, even within yourselves. Your silence, it doesn't even have to be rejoicing in the midst of suffering, but just even your silence in the midst of suffering is an argument for the Christian faith that no one can dispute. In the midst of this, then, you will begin to shine as lights in the world. As children of God, we we think that we are only grumbling about our situation, that we're talking about our lives. But as children of God, when we begin to grumble and dispute about God, what's happening in our lives, we are talking about Him. And you are defaming the loving God who has created you to worship Him when you grumble about what's happening in your life. 
As though He doesn't love you enough to give you something more. As though He's not sovereign enough to give you different circumstances, even if He did love you. But He's not unable to, so I'm going to grumble. You never talk about yourselves when you're grumbling. You're defaming the holy God who is sovereign over everything, even it's sovereign over your lives. So as we begin to walk behind Christ, who has emptied Himself, who has humbled Himself to the point of death, as we begin to walk behind Him without grumbling, without disputing, we will begin to shine as lights into the world. And as we open our hands and give up every grievance that we think that we might have, whether it's legitimate, we will see that this can only be done with our open hands. We see that there is something far greater to hold on to. Let's go back to verse 16 here. Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Okay, so I I want to give up the grumbling. I want to give up the disputing. Okay, but how am I going to do it? There's only one way. There's only one way. And that is by holding fast to the word of life. This isn't going to happen through behavior modification. This isn't going to happen. Your grumbling isn't going to subside when things get a little bit better. When the kids get out of diapers. When your spouse, finally, you train them enough to to obey. Your grumbling isn't going to subside then. Your grumbling isn't going to subside when your job is done and you can maybe transition into retirement. No, your grumbling will remain. The only way to do this and the only way to shine in the world as a light is by holding fast to the word of life. So you're, you're going to be holding on to something. Either you're going to be holding on to your pride, you're going to be holding on to this life that you think you should have been having but isn't happening right now. You're going to be holding on to something. Let it be the word of life. Let's, let's just see how this is come into action here. In the beginning, the Word is coming out of God and it is creating. God said, let there be light. And there's light. God said, let the seas and the water separate from above and below. And boom, and they separate. Let the land come out of the water. Teeming with life, full of life, and through the word God is creating. Look at them over there, they're beautiful. The sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets all dancing and singing this symphony of God's glory. And then the, the, the birds and the fish are filling out the skies and the seas that he had separated. And then finally he brings animals to come in the land. All through his word. He said, let us make man in our own image. And it happens through the Word. Through the Word. The psalmist writes, By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But the Word wasn't just spoken out of God. It was actually it was written down as well. Moses begins writing down Genesis. And the Word becomes 
Scripture. And again, just as it was spoken, this written word, it brings life as well. So when they're, they're about to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, and Moses gives them a law the second time, hence Deuteronomy, the second law, the second giving of the law. And at the end there, it's written, And when Moses had finished speaking all of the words to all of Israel, he said to them, Take heart, all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all of the words of this law. For it is no empty word to you. What is the word, Moses? What is it is? But it is your life. And by this word you shall live long in the land you are going over the Jordan to possess. Remember, he's given this to the second generation because the first generation passed away. Why? Verse 14. Grumbling, disputing. Oh, look at them. The men of this land. We can't conquer that. No, they begin grumbling and disputing and God wipes them all out. Be warned. It's just a little grumble. We haven't drank water for three days. We can grumble, right? No, you can't. Get over yourself. You, you just can't. A little insight to counseling right there. Just stop. <laughs> or the, the, the psalmist in 119 is writing, my, word, my, my soul, it clings to the dust. Give me life. What? How? How is this going to happen? Give me life according to your word. He says, your word. Where am I going to go in this world? Well, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hold fast to that word. I'm severely afflicted. That's could be your life right now. I'm severely afflicted. Who are you going to cry out to? I'm severely afflicted. Oh Lord, give me life. Give me life. How? Give me life according to your word. But thankfully the word, it just wasn't spoken to create. It just wasn't written down. But no, the word became flesh. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was what? Was the light of men. Where do you think Paul is getting a lot of this? Same teachings. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 14 in John 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, the Word has become flesh. And this is our hope. So when they're following Jesus, and He has these teachings that are incredibly radical and are incredibly difficult, that no, you should be willing to forsake your family to follow Me. Well, that's pretty hard. I don't know if I can follow that. And the crowds, sure, they'll follow him when he's feeding them, but then he begins telling them about the cost of discipleship and one by one by one by one and two by two and three by three, they begin to turn away. 
And these massive crowds have dwindled down and he turns to Simon and he says to Peter, what about you? Are you going to leave? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is what we hold fast to and this is what we cling to, my friends. If you haven't given your life to Christ, you must, you must do it now. Do not cling to anything else, but cling to Christ. Don't cling to your sobriety. Don't cling to your awesome job and your great retirement. Don't cling to anything else, but cling to Christ and Christ alone. That's your only hope. Cling to it as though you're, you're on the cliff and you know if you let go, there's, there's nothing but death below you. Cling in that way. Cling to the word of life and cling to Christ. We know that this life is difficult and we're tempted to, to grumble and dispute. But don't hold on to that. No, cling to the Word and cling to Christ. Or your children, who you've ra- you think you've done an okay job raising them, but now they're not walking in the narrow way. They've been taught well. They know of it way over there. But they're not walking in it. Well, what do you do? You cling to Christ and follow Him. When your anxiety seems to cripple you because you just can't do anything. Cling to Christ. When your depression raises its head once again, and everything turns dark and the walls start to close in and you just want to be alone, separated from everybody, cling to Christ and Christ alone. have to ask the question, does my life exhibit the life that is, ex- that is clinging to Christ? If someone was to look at my life and my actions, would they say, there's a man, there's a, there's a lady who is clinging to Christ. You can see it's their only hope. They can't go but half a day and just, just try to sneak reading a little bit out of God's Word, meditating it on it throughout the day. When everything else seems lost, they give no second chance, but they just go and they cry out to Christ. And it seems as though they're clinging to Him when everything else is falling down around them. When it seems as though everything they have, they will give it up freely. So that with these free hands they can cling to Christ with all that they have. Is that your life? Is that what God has been working in you? So we'll wrap it up here. with So Paul in verse 17, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. 
And I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And here's Paul, who has this heartfelt affection for them. They're like his spiritual children. And he's saying that I cherish you so much. And even if I give it all up for your sake, I am going to rejoice with you. Sure, I could grumble. Sure, I could dispute with what is happening. But look at me, Paul is saying. Next week, look at Timothy. But look at me. I am holding on to the word of life and I care for nothing else. Because of that, I will rejoice. Even in the midst of these circumstances, here I am in prison, I will rejoice. And I want you to rejoice with me. So beloved, hold fast. Hold fast to the Word of God. There is nothing else that is sure. Nothing else that will carry you along. Everything else that you try to hold on to, it will slip. It will slip through your hands. And here's the most beautiful thing, friends. As you are holding fast to Christ and clinging to Him, you will see and you will find out that it's not you holding on to Him, but it is Him who is holding on to you. And He will never let go. And His promises are sure and He is faithful that He will carry you home to glory. So cling to Him and be carried on by His love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are tempted by so many things around us. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they see this beautiful fruit. Well, let me, let me cling to that. Let me partake of that. But God, let us forsake everything. I just cling to Your Word and cling to You that we might not dispute, that we might not grumble, that we might not as a church or individually be swept aside as the generation that was lost. Your people who had seen your saving graces out of Egypt lost and died in the wilderness because of their grumbling God. Give us a resolute faith. Not just to merely say no to those things, but to say yes to you and yes to clinging to you. And we could hold on to You with all of our strength and all of our might that You have so richly worked into us, God. And let us have the assurance and let us have the faith that it is ultimately You who is holding on to us. Let us partake in that through communion and let us rejoice in that through song. Amen.